You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. Um, I should say that if you are a guest, I hope that you'll fill out a connection card. Um, it's one of those in the seat back in front of you. Just at some point um, before you leave today, if you'll stop by the welcome desk on your way out, we have a gift for you there just to thank you uh, for being here. If there's ever any way that we can serve you uh, or your family, just let us know. We'll be happy to do that. Um, if you're not a guest and you've been here for a while, um, you know that we are working our way through uh, a prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. We've come to call it Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's the last public prayer uh, that he prays before going to the cross. He prays it uh, on, uh, if you're considering the arc of Holy Week that culminates in Sunday's resurrection, he prays it on Thursday night. It's after his last supper with his disciples. And immediately, if you're going to read through John's gospel account, immediately after John 17, Jesus um, and three of his closest uh, disciples go out. They walk across the Kidron Valley over into kind of a walled garden area called the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prays his last private prayer before the cross There, after that prayer, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas, the betrayer, shows up uh, with an armed mob, if you will. They arrest Jesus. They falsely accuse him, uh, ultimately, of blasphemy. They have these trials, kind of a series of them overnight. That's on Thursday night into Friday. He is uh, convicted. He's tortured and mocked and crucified. He is declared dead by a professional Roman execution squad, and he's buried before sundown because the Jewish Sabbath started from, went from sundown to sundown. So it actually started sundown on Saturday night. Saturday, I mean on Friday night, Saturday is quiet. And then on Sunday morning, on the third day in the Jewish way of thinking about time, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, on the third day, he rose from the dead. He spends 40 days walking in and around Jerusalem, teaching publicly. He's meeting with people. He's eating with people. Anybody who wanted to could come and see him. Scripture tells us that there are more than 500 eyewitnesses to the truth of Jesus' physical bodily resurrection from the dead. And then at the end of that 40 days, we read about this um, at the end of Matthew's gospel and at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus ascends bodily into heaven, promising that in the fullness of time he would return. And when he returned, he would judge the living and the dead. He would make all things new again. He would restore the creation into the state of perfection that his father had intended it to be in before the sin of mankind had kind of shattered God's perfect paradigm of creation. That's the general storyline of Easter. That's what we celebrate every year, but really it's what we celebrate every Sunday. The reason that we worship on Sundays is because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Imagine what it would take for you to change the day of worship. God's people had always worshiped on Saturday, and then suddenly there was something 
that caused them to change. And so the reason that we gather every Sunday is because of the resurrection, not just on Easter. But here's the thing. I know that not all of you believe that story. Now, some of you do. And for some of you, today will be the one of the mountaintops of your spiritual year. You're excited to be here. You've had this day planned out. You've had outfits bought. You've had meals planned. You have family in town or maybe like for some of you, this is a mountaintop Sunday, but not for everyone. Some of you want to believe that story, but you don't believe it yet if you're honest with yourself. Some of you are here out of some type of kind of um, family or cultural muscle memory. Like you just go to church on Sunday because that on or go to church on Easter because that's what people do. And so uh, that's just kind of what you do. You kind of go through the motions and, and that's why you're here. And some of you I know, like you're just barely holding on to faith. And so you would affirm that story that is told in your, in your head, but you don't really feel it. Maybe for some of you, what you feel is kind of beaten down and, and tired. Not sleepy like you stayed up too late last night binge watching, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, some Christian thing. What's the name of that? What is it? The Chosen. That's a, like you stayed up binge watching The Chosen, right? Because you're very holy and catch up on things before Easter. <laughs> but you're just tired, like an emotional, physical, mental, spiritual exhaustion. And I want you to know that no matter where it is that you fall on that kind of spectrum, this morning, we're glad that you're here. And more than that, I believe that this part of Jesus' prayer that we've come to in John 17, I think that it should be an encouragement to you, whether you are on a spiritual mountaintop or you are way down in a valley and not even sure if any of these things are true. This part of the prayer that we have come to this morning is a deep, personal, lasting, intimate truth that that if you can understand what it is that Jesus is praying on this night before his death, I think if you really understand it, it should change the way you experience life. Because life can be all at once exhilarating and exhausting and, and boring and beautiful and forgettable and fantastic. And it just has all of these ups and downs. Well, what is it that, that's the ballast in our ship through these ups and downs of life? I think it's some of these very, very personal truths that Jesus is praying about. Think about the way that you would pray if you knew you were going to die tomorrow. And how important the things that you would pray would be. And that's what we've been studying for these last few weeks together. Look with me at John 17, 24. Jesus is nearing the end of his prayer. He's prayed for unity in the church. He's prayed for his father to, to guard and protect his people. He's prayed for his people to be filled with joy. He's prayed for them to be, sacri to be sanctified for mission. And now he prays this, John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. 
Father, I desire that. To this point in the prayer, he's been asking for things. But he kind of steps into another level of boldness or, or, or cuts to the chase a little bit and says, this is what I want. This is what I desire. These are not generic you know, platitudes that Jesus is praying. These reflect the desires of his heart. It's what he wants. And if you were to look back in your Bibles up at verse 20, what you'll see is that he's praying these things for everyone who would ever become a believer, for everyone who would ever be a Christian. And so this morning, if you are a Christian or if you would become a Christian, Jesus wants these things for you. Read verse 20. He is literally praying for you if you're a Christian or if you would become a Christian. There are three. They're all in verse 24. The first one is this, that Jesus wants you to be with him forever. He wants you to be with him forever. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. He's speaking here about eternal life. He used the same phrase back in John 14, 1 through 3, and he promised eternal life to his disciples. He said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? It's a rhetorical question. The answer, of course, is no. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That's John 14. So here in John 17, he's praying and he's asking his father to fulfill the promise that he had made back in John 14 because he wants his people to be with him forever. This is eternal life. This is the hope That this sin-sick world isn't the only thing that there is. This is the promise that there's something more. The assurance that death does not have the final word. It's the hope that there is a day coming when abuse and addiction and, and cancer and catastrophes and poverty and prejudice will be no more. That there is a new day coming Friends, can I encourage you that if you find yourself weary this Easter, just know that hours before the cross, Jesus is praying for you. And if you woke up this morning feeling great, and you love the church, and you wish that we did this not just once a week, but every day. You'd love to just show up here every morning on your way to work and sing four or five songs with God's people and, and rejoice and grab a cup of coffee, and you just you love Sundays. Can I encourage you that Jesus doesn't just want praise from you. He wants to be with you, and he wants you to be with him Where he is. Do you see how personal this is? His prayer is, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am. So he's not just saying, I want them to be where I am. He's saying, I want them to be with me 
where I am. That's not the same thing, right? That these are, this is different. Back in um, 2001, Pastor Josh, some of you know, um, Pastor Josh Romine is one of the pastors on staff here. Um, Josh went to the presidential inauguration. It was George W. Bush's first presidential inauguration. And so um, if you know Josh at all, Josh has met like everybody in the world. Um, or he's like two degrees removed from everybody in the world. And so, of course, he was at the inauguration, right? And um, so it, it would be 100% accurate for us to say, yeah, um, Josh was, on that day in 2001, where the president was. Josh was where President Bush was. That's not the same thing as saying Josh was with President Bush, right? But this is Josh being with <laughs> President Bush, right? This is different. He also once used the bathroom with Don Rumsfeld, but that's a different story. Um, it's a true story, though. <laughs> so here's the point. Jesus wants you to be not just where he is, but with him personally forever. The psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The apostle Paul said, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. The Apostle John, given a vision of the new heaven coming down onto the new earth in Revelation 21.3, writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The promise of eternal life, friends, is not that we will float around in the clouds in like this semi-translucent state with white robes and a harp forever. That's Looney Tunes eschatology. Okay, those of us of a certain age, we just grew up watching Looney Tunes, and when you died, that's what happened, right? Except for every now and then, they would send Taz down to the, the hot place, right? But like, that's not the biblical promise of eternal life. The biblical promise of eternal life is that all those who repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And that one day, we will have a glorified physical body. And we will live in a glorified physical earth. And we will be with Jesus forever. And that's why Easter matters so much. Because without the resurrection, we would have no proof that any of these things are true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the reason we have hope. And yes, we have hope in this life because Jesus has overcome the world. But we also have hope for the next life. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ 
has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So watch what happens now. Jesus promises that you'll be with him forever in John 14. He prays that you'll be with him forever in John 17. And the resurrection proves that you'll be with him forever if you are a Christian, if you will repent of your sin and turn towards him in faith. And by God's grace, Scripture promises that all who do that will be saved. If you've never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning at the end of the sermon. More on that in just a minute. But for now, the second thing that Jesus desires for you. Number two, he wants you to see his glory. He wants you to see his glory. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me, that's every Christian, may be with me where I am to see my glory, he says. This is the point. This is the goal. This is the reward. Will you see your loved ones again? Yes. Will you be fully healed? Yes and amen. Will every tear be wiped away and everything that was sad become untrue? Yes and amen. Will death be no more? Yes. But those realities pale in comparison to finally, at long last, being able to see the fullness of the glory of God in Christ our Lord. That's the goal. Revelation 21, 23 says, There's a day coming when there is no need of sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God gives the world its light. And the lamp that shines as bright as the sun is the Lamb. It's Jesus. Paul sees the glory of Christ and it knocks him flat. It blinds him. Moses sees the glory of God and he literally glows reflecting it. They had to put a veil over his face and he didn't even see the fullness of it. All he saw was the backside of the robes. And Paul says we'll see fully face to face. Friends, the greatest sight you've ever seen, the grandest music you've ever heard, the most awe-inspiring art you've ever stood and contemplated, the most mouth-watering meal you've ever consumed, the love of that person in your life that you feel that just overwhelms you sometimes, that vacation you took that restored your soul. They are fleeting shadows of the glory of God in Christ our Lord. They're just a little foretaste because all of them are decayed and broken by sin. But there's a day coming when none of them will be. And we do get a foretaste of it now. We, we get glimpses of the glory of God now. The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Ephesians 3.21 says the glory of God is on display in the church. When lives are changed and marriages are healed, and addictions are broken, and communities are served, when generosity overflows and the gospel is preached, 
When people are sent and the nations are reached, when people from every racial and ethnic background and socioeconomic grouping and stage of life and sphere of culture, when they come together under the banner of Christ, these things display the glory of God to the watching world. And we have seen those things in our five years together as a faith family. We've seen miracles happen. We've experienced God making something out of nothing And I'll tell you that we believe with all of our hearts that God is just getting started here. But none of it comes close to being in the presence of the glory of Christ. Friends, if you're someone who struggles to believe, if you wish that God would just give you a sign, can I encourage you? He has. Look around you at the beauty and the intricate design in creation and understand that it points you to its creator. Consider, if you will, the avalanche of ancient eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. There was a man who was pronounced dead by a professional Roman execution squad. Nobody in the history of the world had perfected execution like the Romans. And he was buried and the tomb sealed. And then he was alive. (laughs) There was a man who was dead and then he was not dead. And everything in the world changed. Would you just consider the overwhelming number of eyewitness accounts we have of that truth? Would you ask the person who invited you here today, how has God changed your life? And just listen to the way that he has worked in their personal experience. If you're someone who struggles to believe, would you ask yourself this question? If if everyone knows just instinctively that things are not how they should be, that something in the world is wrong. And they do know that. Everybody agrees on that. Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, Mormons, atheists, agnostics, everybody agrees that there's something wrong in the world. If that's the case, does that not indicate to you that something inside of all of us across time and geography and culture, something in the very essence of who we are as human beings calls out for more. It longs to experience the glorious, to be in the presence of glory. Why do all of our hearts ache for something else? And I would suggest to you that the gospel answers those questions. It answers those longings. The gospel explains both the problem with the world And it points not to to geopolitics or to economic structures or to ideological philosophies. It points to sin. It says the problem with the world is that we've rebelled against God and his good design. The gospel, though, also provides the solution. It says there is one who died and who will return to restore all things. The gospel explains both the problem, and the solution. But more than that, 
It comes with a promise of an eternity where your very human longing for glory is going to be satisfied, not just once, but every day, all day, forever. On the night before his death, Jesus of Nazareth is praying that you would see his glory, that you would experience the perfection for which you were created. One more. Jesus wants you to experience God's love. To experience God's love. Let me read all of verse 24 one more time. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me from the foundation of the world. Jesus wants you to experience the same love of God the Father that he had known since before the world was even created. You understand, God the Father did not create the world or create mankind because he was lonely or because he was in need of something. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have existed for all eternity past. There is never a time when they were not the creation of everything that is, is an overflow out of the love that exists in the Godhead. It's an expression of love. We see this in Matthew three seventeen. Jesus is baptized and God the Father speaks audibly from heaven. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In John 10, 17, Jesus says, for this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. And John 3.16 said, God so loved the world that he sent his son. That whoever would believe in him wouldn't have to perish. But they could have eternal life. This is the divine dance that has existed throughout all eternity. And it is into that that Jesus prays that you would enter, that you would be with him, that you would see his glory. John says, glory as of the only son from the father, that you would experience God's love as he did. And so if you leave with only one thing this morning, with only one truth in your head and in your heart, I hope it's this, that Jesus wants you to experience God's love. That's why he lived a life of perfect obedience to God's law and to God's will. Why he died a death in your place for your sin. That is why he rose again, that you might know these truths that he taught about God, that you might believe that he was sent from God, that you might repent and be reconciled to God by his grace through faith. And so if you are someone who finds yourself far from God, he wants you to come back home where you're loved. If you are someone who doubts, he wants you to look at the cross and to trust his love for you, even if all your questions haven't been answered yet. If you're someone who feels wounded by his people, he wants you to know that though their love isn't perfect, his is. If you're someone whose life has been changed, who 
knows the love of God and you know that the presence of the Holy Spirit is in your life, then he wants you to know that he doesn't just intend for his love to go to you, but that it would go through you to those who might be close to you but far from him. No matter where you are this Easter, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead should radically change your life. And that is not just what I want for you. That is not just what this church wants for you. That is what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to be with him forever, to see his glory, and to experience the love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's pray, and then I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Father, these gospel truths are so simple to state and yet so very nearly impossible to comprehend. They're so transformative. For those of us who perhaps have been in church for a long time, they can become almost routine. Would you forgive us for that? For those of us who are rarely in church, they can, they can seem almost impossible to grasp. Would you help us to reach out and to take hold of them? That we might consider the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and how it has changed the world, how it could change our life, not merely once a year on Easter, but every day. Until the day when he returns and makes all things new again. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.